Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, Blister's running editor. In this week's episode, I spent some time catching up with ultra runner Devin Yanko. Fresh off of her record-setting run at the Umsden 100, a race she won outright, I talked to Devin about her introduction to ultras while living in the Bay Area, how her recent move to Colorado has impacted her training, her Umsted 100 race recap, and the performance-enhancing effects of techno music. I also found out what inspired Devin to come up with the DY DIY Slam, her plan to run five 100-mile races within the span of just a few months. Devin has seen ultra running evolve quite a bit over her career competing at an elite level. I really enjoyed hearing her perspective on what's changed since she started racing and why remembering our sports history matters. And I hope you do too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Devin Yanko. Hey, Devin. How's it going? Great. How are you? Good. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. So about a week ago, you won Umstead 100 outright in a time of 14 hours and 23 minutes, setting both a CR and a personal PR, I guess a a PR. (laughs) Uh, Is that right? Yep. Cool. Uh, How are you feeling a week out? Um, Good. I mean, it's been a hectic week because I literally flew out before the race was even over. Basically, I flew out to get home because I had to work this week. So I basically crossed the finish line, tried to get some sleep and have been going nonstop since. But despite that, um, I'm feeling pretty good. Nice. It's in uh, the race takes place in North Carolina, right? Correct. Cool. So I do want to talk about the race. But personally, I want to catch up with you a little bit because we haven't talked in a while. Um, So before you moved to Colorado, which took place, what, like, you've been in Colorado for like four or five months? Uh, Yeah, I mean, we left the Bay Area in October. Um, So we were around, we were in Colorado, but not settled um, from in like November, December. And then we moved to Salida in January. Okay. Okay. But before that, you had been in the Bay Area for a while, right? Yeah, since... 2009 okay Um, and i had been actually there since 2005 but i took a one-year hiatus to go back to seattle and realize i don't like living in the dark yeah yeah i i've also spent some time up there and i was i was uh turned away by the dark as well unfortunately i mean i grew up there i don't know how i survive i'm like did i just not know any better but i mean once you've lived in california it's kind of hard to i mean a lot of people do it and Seattle's a great place, but I just, I was like, I need sunshine. I like to run with the light. Yeah. So how did you end up in the Bay Area? Um, so once upon a time, I was born. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, after I did grad school, I moved to London um, to work. So this is two thousand early 2005. Um, and when my work visa was up, I moved back to the States And I was staying in Atlanta um, working for my dad because I was like, now what do I do with my life? I have a master's degree, but I'm 22 and I just like lived overseas and have been living the dream. And now I'm like, and now what? Um, (laughs) So my sister had moved to the Bay Area um, and she knew that I was not really like loving my time in Atlanta. And she was like, just come out here. Like you can move in with me. Uh, She lived in a building like on Russian Hill like it was her boyfriend at the time's parents place and they're like they'll move out of this room you could move into this room just come like you don't need a job we'll figure it out um so I was like that sounds better than Atlanta so I just picked up I got my stuff out of storage my stuff was in storage in Pittsburgh um drove across the country and started a life in the Bay Area were you running at all at that time yeah, so when I was in London, I ran my first marathon. Um, I did the Edinburgh Marathon. Um, I had been running, I had done my first, well, it was technically my second half marathon two years before I li- lived in London. I was studying abroad in South Africa, and my roommates and I decided to train for a half marathon, and I did it, and I was like, this is it. And I, I had done a half marathon as a sophomore in high school, but like, running wasn't like a culture at my school. Like I associated running with like my mom who, you know, when I was a 
a small kid ran every day. She ran around Green Lake, like the same three miles every single day. Right. So I didn't really like know anything about like track and field and cross country. I was like, that's not for me. But so I had started, I just ran a half marathon, not knowing anything. Um, and then once I did the one in South Africa, I was totally hooked um, and just kind of started training for a theoretical marathon. So when I was in London, um, I just signed up for the Edinburgh Marathon and loved it. Um, so I, when I moved back to the States, I was like, if I can run that fast, right? I ran a 338 while living in London and, you know, going out every night and working every day and like with like a handwritten plan from runner's world, like on my wall, I kind of was like, well, if I can do that with that much training, like what could I do if I improve my nutrition and maybe don't drink whiskey every day and like, (laughs) you know, like, and like train harder and like build mileage. Um, And so by the time I moved Actually, when I did my second marathon, it was the Nike Women's Marathon when that was still a thing. So that was four or five months after my first marathon. And that was, I had, it was actually a secret mission to go out and interview for a job in the Bay Area. Um, So I ran the marathon and I ran a 321. So I chopped off 17 minutes just on like very minimal changes. So I would say by the time I moved to the Bay Area, I was like pretty hardcore into running. Um. And I ran my first ultra the next summer. Okay. So how did you go from roads into ultra? Was it like just something that you were like curious about? Or was it like part of the the community you, you entered in the Bay Area? I mean, back then, I literally would like run up to people and be like, will you be my friend? And like, there was not the same culture in the Bay Area. And road running is obviously different. Um, but I hadn't really found my people. And that's actually why I left to move to Seattle is like, I was like, the people I was surrounded by were more like, I mean, this is kind of a niche Bay Area reference. We're like Marina people. And like, that's not really my people. Um, so I, it wasn't really the, the community. I like, I, you know, like everybody else that re- read Dina Carnassus's book, like I was, I knew the theory of ultras. Like I knew these things existed, but like, this is 2005, 2006, right? Different so no social media, different yeah. internet. Like I think I like read ultra running magazine or something or like some trail running magazine. And after I did my third marathon, I realized that I could see myself kind of getting too obsessed with time. And I really didn't want to just go down this path of like having this number rule my life. I was like, I love running, but how do I do something that doesn't in involve that because I could see given my history with basketball, like I didn't want running to go that way where I just, when I was done, I was like, I like have touched basketball twice in the last 20 years. Right. Like done, done. Don't watch it. Did I, I did watch the game when I was in North Carolina, but that, you know, (laughs) it was like the first basketball game I watched in like 15 years. Um, so I saw an ad for headlands 50 K. Um, and I just, was like, well, maybe ultras. I also signed up for like a triathlon. So I was like, let's try out these other things and see what gets me away from that like time obsession, that kind of hamster wheel of just focusing on the marathon time. It happened to be the national championship. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. So I I was like, I literally had barely ever even been on trails. Um, The Lakes Loop is pretty much the only trail running I had ever done, which as you know, is not exactly the most technical trails we have (laughs) so i just showed up and i i say i was like a dumb dog with like my tongue wagging and i was just out there having a good old time like i didn't know what i was doing and i did i think i was eighth or something right and when i finished i crossed the finish line and like nikki kimball and connie gardner and cammy semic like you know all these people had like literally just you know won national championships or were national champions or world champions. They were like, who are you? You need to come do the hundred K road team. We like, they just like instantly kind of brought me in and it like introduced me to like these things. I had no idea there was a hundred K national team. Um, and at the same time at that race, I met my friend Hollis, who is like one of the super old school 
ultra runners. You know, he's really good friends with John Mettinger, who, you know, founded Lake Sonoma 50. Hollis was Anne Trayson's like crew and pacer for like many years when she was winning all her races. And he kind of just like became my mentor and really helped me like navigate. And so I kind of just went from that one race to like the next year, like I think I probably ran 10 ultras or something. You know, like my first year of ultra running, like let's do this hardcore. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's like going back to how you made the transition from like roads to ultras and how you wanted to avoid kind of like burnout really. I think that was like really prescient because I, I hear all the time like um, folks that like ran in college that didn't run for five or six years after running so competitively just because they were so sick of it. And I think where you are now in your career, I mean, you're one of the more accomplished like runners in our sport. So it's like, it's definitely paid off. Like, why do you think that is? Like, what what about like, I guess my question is like, what about like ultra running makes it like, I guess, so like, enduring, you know, compared to like road? Um, I mean, I went in with the attitude of like, I am very conscious that I don't want it to go the way basketball did. And so, although I don't always catch it that early, I can tell when I start going down a path towards that and being like, I'm not having fun. So like my kind of core thing coming in was like, I'm not doing this to as a career, right? Like I have never made enough money running to pay for anything but running, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, so I kind of was like, this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be like, I love this. And I kind of always come back to, do I still love this? And I think to the second part of your question, ultra running makes that really easy because like, it's kind of like an infinite buffet, right? Like with marathoning, right? You have one essential, essentially you have one goal, right? To run the fastest. Like, yeah, you can run a pretty course or whatever, but like ultimately the majority of people run marathons to see how fast they can go. And like, I've run a lot of, I've run a lot of marathons and I love marathoning, but I also run marathons with like a singular goal. Um, Ultra running, it's like, you can pick from like, do I want to do a race because I want to travel to a certain place? Do I want to do a race because I want to challenge myself to run the most vert or the fastest or et cetera, right? And even the same course on a different year is a different experience. And so like, even if you do the same course, like you're really like, you can't even compare to yourself. And I kind of love that, right? Like it takes some of the it's more of about a subjective experience versus marathoning. You're like, did I run fast or did I, did I not run fast? Right. And I, so it's like, I feel like the reason why I have had a really long successful career is because I'm always like, Hmm, like, what do I like to do now? And like, I follow that path. And like, honestly, like I don't do like the, I'm not, always doing what the popular path is, right? Like I still love the road and I've run road races and done that. And sometimes that's to the detriment of my like notoriety or career because like, you know, I've won three national championships on the road and people are like, cute. And you're like, <laughs> right. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it's like the way our, I don't always align with like where our sport, our sport is, you know, hyper-focused on. But like to me, I do that because I am trying to stay true to myself and what I enjoy and like what's authentic to me. Because when I don't pick things that are authentic to me, I have a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like the the analogy used about um, like ultras being a buffet too, because they are quite literally a buffet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. So I want to go on a slight tangent that um, I hope you'll indulge me in. So for those not super familiar with uh, the Bay Area trail running scene, um, there's two really highly coveted Strava segments, at least in the North Bay. One of them is the Mount Tam Hill Climb, which starts in downtown Mill Valley, uh, right next to where the Dipsy, Dipsy race is held. And it as the name implies, it goes up to the top of Mount Tam. It's about uh, five kilometers with 24, 2,500 feet of climbing. Um, and the 
other really coveted segment is the Ninja Loop, which starts just north of the Golden Gate Bridge in the Northgate parking lot. And I think the stats on that are a little over 11 miles with around 2,200 feet of climbing. And I think over the past five or six years, I think largely because of like social media and just the growth of trail running, both of those segments have like really garnered a lot of like attention outside of the the Bay Area. I think currently uh, all like, let's see, I know the men's time on Mount Tam is held by Jim Walmsley, (laughs) uh, which we can talk about maybe. Uh, And the women's time is held by Bailey Kowalczyk from Boulder, and she also now holds the women's time on the Ninja Loop. And the men's time on the Ninja Loop, I think, was just taken by a local uh, by the name of Eddie Owens, who's really, really fast. But before that, it was held by Andy Wacker, um, who I think trains out of Colorado. And uh, as I understand it, you have quite the story with the Ninja Loop. You are are credited with uh, its creation, am I right? I, yes, I, I, am... I need you to tell this story because <laughs> yeah. like, I, I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it is funny how big of a thing it is now. Like I'll hear people, like people make reference to it and I'm like, Oh, like in like people I don't know. And before it was such a niche thing. So the founding of it, um, it was Brett rivers and Larissa now rivers, um, So they and Nathan, my husband, um, so the three of them were friends and I met them in around my birthday um, in 2009. And the four of us soon decided like we all lived in the city, like we all decided on Thursday mornings, you know, we wanted to get on trail. So we started this, you know, bunch of weirdos getting up in the dark doing this crazy loop like you know you're running like oh like nearly 12 miles before work you know and like all of us worked so it's you know and it was just it started out as just us and it was very it was religious like you didn't miss a week like you had to have a really good freaking reason to miss and it slowly just like we just brought in it's kind of like how i had run up to people and be like will you be my friend right like I think everybody, especially people who were new to the trail world, like of our age at the time, I was in my late, how old, how old am I? It was in my late (laughs) twenties. So like, we just all were looking for that connection and, you know, ultra running at that point was still an older demographic, right? It was changing, but we were kind of the generation that was kind of when younger, more people of younger ages were going into it. Like when I finished my first ultra, everybody was like 15 to 25 years older than me. Right. Like it was weird that a 20 year old, like that was not the norm. Um, so we would just get out there and hammer away. And like, it was always funny because like there were rules, there were like unspoken rules. Like Larissa always leads up the first climb, right? Because we're trying to stay together. You know, we always stopped at different turns and the group just kept growing. Like, I mean, we, I'm sure we were breaking all of the rules because we'd have like 20 people out there. Um, so I had gone to Italy that summer and my sister and I were just messing around one day and we were jumping off all these things and we have all these really cool pictures of us like flying through the air like ninjas um and so when we were kind of trying to decide on a name I was like we should be the ninjas like I mean like it does make sense like we're in the dark we're super covert I mean we're not as covert as we thought we were right like we're loud as F. like <laughs> you're just like squawking all day you know so i i brought that name and everybody was like hell yeah that's the name and it just stuck right like we started like a email group and like the it just kind of became this thing where like all of a sudden people you didn't know were showing up and we would like i was kind of in charge of um initiation uh i mean i kind of self-appointed that where uh going down rock springs that what it is that nice buttery descent oh yeah yeah old springs like oh i love that descent and i think i still have the segment because i send it on that and i would basically if somebody was kind of trying to you know 
strut and like, you know, hammer, which was not really the intent, right? I would get up in front of somebody and I would basically like just notch it up and I would pull them away from the pack and I would just start slowly hammering as hard at like, so they're like screwed because they've now shown that they want to keep up. But now I'm going to just hammer so hard down old springs that <laughs> there was definitely some yard sales people just like tripping and going flying um but that was like the initiation it was like see if you can hang on to devon running downhill um yeah so <clears throat> at the time it wasn't you could always obviously like run as hard as you wanted but like that wasn't really like why we were doing it it wasn't really about a workout it wasn't until a couple years in that we actually like, I mean, once, once Larissa started working at Strava and we were all required to get on Strava, <laughs> you know, it became like a, what is the fastest time? And like, I think Brett had the, on the original course, because that is now different, Brett had the men's course record. And then one day I went out with my friend Peter to see how hard I could run it. And I set the women's course record, which still stands because you literally cannot run that route anymore. Like it's this exact same distance and everything. It's just where you used to go over bridge is now like not you used to cut straight across the road um, and like go across this little bridge to the bottom of Bobcat. And now you run on the road and go across. So I think that record still stands and it's like, I don't know, mid 120s or something. Um, eventually. It just became such a big thing that like all of the originals, you know, we moved on with our lives or like uh, all of us opened businesses. So, but it was really cool because some of the other people just kept it going and like, it still happens. I mean, you still see it all the time. Like ran a ninja, a mini ninja, half ninja, quarter ninja. <laughs> I just think it's really funny how this thing that was not a thing is now part of the Bay Area language. Um, which is really cool for all of us. Yeah, I love that story. All right, let's move out of the Bay Area and over to Colorado. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, you moved to Salida, um, yeah, like three or four months ago. Um, how did you end up in Salida? Um, so when we moved out of the Bay Area, um, we were pretty certain we wanted to move to Colorado. You know, Brett and Larissa had moved here. Our other friends, Kristen and Galen, they're all in the front range. Um, you know, I've come to I've come to Leadville before. I've, you know, been in the front range a ton. Um, so we were we just thought Colorado was the place for us. We were pretty certain the front range wasn't where it was at for us. Like one, like part of leaving the Bay Area is wanting to move something somewhere that's not quite as expensive so that kind of eliminates the front range also you know kind of referencing like the reason i run like boulder's culture around running is not necessarily what i connect with right like there are a lot of professional runners there's a lot of professional marathoners triathletes like i feel like it's just such a competitive environment and like i don't while I am competitive and like, I obviously can win races and things like that. I don't necessarily feel like I want every single day to be a competition. Like I don't want to, you know, every time I do something, get an uh Oh, like five seconds later on Strava, you know, like everything doesn't need to be that. And like, you know, we didn't, the pace there wasn't what we wanted. So we started looking around. We looked in like Glenwood, like Carbondale area, we stayed there for a month. Um, I was really curious. It was funny um, when I interviewed Courtney DeWalter um, on our podcast. She was like, come come live in Leadville. And I was like, yeah, so I, you can come so you can crush my soul every day. I mean, <clears throat> I love Leadville, but it's a very hard place to train, um, which is why she thrives there is because she is a bionic human being. Um, so we like, I love that area. Um, I had some friends who had moved to Buena Vista and Salida. And so they were like, Hey, come to the here. So just like we had in Glenwood, I just booked an Airbnb. Um, and we really hadn't intended on picking anywhere until like the fall. So like, we're like, we're going to take a year off and just move around and whatever. But 
it's also not our personalities. So after living in like three or four Airbnbs, we're like, wait, we're good. So we show up in Salida and without even discussing it, like Nathan and I basically like looked at each other like two days in, we're like, I think we want to move here. And it just like, it just felt so right. And like this area is, you know, hasn't already jumped the shark. Like it is definitely like everywhere else that's awesome, you know, growing really fast but it's still like low key and it's perfect for us because it's really funny when I told people I was moving here, they're like, Oh, you're going to have to get used to the snow. And I was like, you clearly don't know where I'm moving Um, because this area is considered a banana belt. Um, So we do get snow, but comparatively to a lot of Colorado, like it just doesn't stick. Right. So I probably have had, to train indoors like less than 10 times this winter right um we're surrounded by mountains so like i can see it snowing like oh i I love i'm pointing you know because it's a podcast i'm you know like the collegiate peaks like i can watch it snow a couple you know 10 miles away but it's sunny here and we have trail access pretty much year round it's at seven thousand feet right like and the vibe is really it's actually like considered an artist town, right? So we have like a really cool downtown, cool, like everything we're kind of looking for. Um, and I have um, our little lady gang, which is pretty awesome. Um, you know, a lot of people have commented like, how the hell did you end up in a place with like, it's like professional runner squad. I mean, I'm not a professional runner, but like we're like an elite runner squad. It's like Anime Flynn, Sandy Nightpaver, Gina Lucrezzi. I mean, Courtney's in the mix. She's busy. You know, she lives slightly up Valley. It's like an hour, but like, that's our crew. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is kind of a cool place to be. So um, that just made it really easy for us to want to move here. Yeah. And I mean, I think finding somewhere to run year round, like coming from the Bay Area, uh, that makes so much sense to me. Um, and obviously, uh, considering your, your, uh, your victory last weekend, like you seem to be, seem to be training all right up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Why don't we, why don't we hop into that? Um, let's talk about Umstead 100. Um, what was your kind of intention like leading into the race? Um, and then walk me through your day, your 14, 14 and a half hour day. Almost <laughs> didn't even need a headlamp. Yeah, uh, yeah, literally needed a headlamp for like four miles. It was so bizarre. Um, so I guess, Doing Umstead um, is part of this bigger project that I'm doing, and I Umstead has been around for 27 years. Um, I try not to be. I have to suppress my inner like. I have like a I don't know how to say like a history Nazi like about the sport. Like I want people who come into the sport. I'm like, why don't you know what these things are? Right? Like right. I understand everybody knows what Western States is and like UTMB, and I'm like there's so much history. And when I came into the sport, it was like required reading to like know what all these things were. Right. And I, I get frustrated now just because I feel like we don't have that attitude. Right. So there's so many amazing races out there that have been around for a really long time and they just don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, and some of these, like Umstead, like I've had lots of the old ninjas, like former ninjas had done it. And I had always been curious because I knew it was a fast, fast-ish course. Um, you know, so there have been some great times there. It seems like it has a really amazing community. Like I've always been intrigued, but like, you know, when I was sponsored, it wasn't even on like any incentive list, right? Like certain races are more important to sponsors since I'm not in that scenario anymore. Um, and I had decided to do like my own project. I was like, now's the time. Like, I'm curious. I think it's a great opportunity to run fast. You know, my PR is from 2015 at Havelina, which is kind of an easier and harder race. You know, it's like weird again, comparing, you know, you're like apples and ski boots kind of thing you know like they're both fast courses but they're both hard for different reasons um so with umstead i i think my intention 
really, you know, I was injured last year and then I tried to do Havelina again. And I mean, I was trying to run a hundred miles like 10 weeks after I started running, <laughs> you know, it was just like, I didn't finish that race. And then earlier this year, um, I didn't finish black Canyon. Um, and that was like Havelina. I didn't really mind, you know, I was like really in a fine place with that. But black Canyon was kind of tragic because I had battled back from like a really terrible experience. And like, I was like, hard charging. And then I tripped and like obliterated myself on the ground. And I had cramped my calf cramped so bad I could barely stand up. So like, it was like, I was fine. <laughs> then I, so I, right. you know, DNF that race. So going into Umstead, I was like, let's just not think about the fact that we haven't run farther than 50 miles in three, you know, like I, 2020 doesn't count. I ran a like 80 miles and I did all this crazy shit but like in a race it had been since 2018 since I've got over 50 miles and I my last 100 was Leadville in 2017 so I was like let's just have a good experience was kind of my goal <laughs> you know like I was a little bit worried I don't know if I was worried I was cognizant of just wanting to have a better experience than my last two, you know, races. Well, last two of my last races. Um, so that said, I also went in with a pace chart for course record pace. <laughs> of course, <laughs> just um, in case. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I felt like, so the course record that I was aiming at was Eliza Howard record. It was 1507. And I, looking at the course, you know, it's, you know, when you look at it, it's a loop course, right? So it's 12, 12 and a half miles. There's somewhere between eight and 9,000 feet of total climbing. So if you look at a, the profile, like it looks terrifying because it's all up and down. And, but I was like, but the times don't bear that out. The times show that this is a fast course. So I kind of was like a mix of like, I have to see if these types of hills are like how I, how it works, right? Like I'm, I'm living at 7,000 feet and I literally run 10 miles uphill, like as my easy run, like, you know, I just go straight up the mountain to like 9,000 feet. Um, and so like, I know that I have good climbing legs, but until you're out there, you have no idea if that course record is mind bogglingly fast, right? Because her record is also significantly faster than a lot of the winning times for women are historically. So women winners usually run like 16 or 17 hours. Um, so I went in like, just let's see how this goes. And I had found some locals, like the community there was amazing. Like I needed people who were local to help me. Um, I didn't have anybody come with me. And I put a call out and I think I got like 80 responses. Like it was literally like everybody at the race was willing to help me. And like, so I had Liz and Cassie were my crew and they were amazing. And um, I ended up having four pacers. Um, so like, you know, pretty early on in the race, um, like the first loop, I just kind of was like, I when I started running, like, that's the thing, right? We can theorize about how we're going to feel, but until the gun goes off and you're like, Oh, this is how I feel. <laughs> like you don't really know what that day looks like. And I felt really good early on. And, you know, I, when we first moved to Colorado, you know, people think, Oh, you go to altitude and then you come down and you're like superpowers. And like, that's not really how it works when you're not, like when you haven't lived at altitude for a long time, like when I did JFK in November, like I came down to sea level and I was like, whoa, not good. You know, like you feel, you feel your body start recovering. Um, but I think I've been up for long enough that I didn't feel that way. And so I was like, I'm going to get the benefit, you know, <laughs> which is like, you know, you're kind of like, yes, free money. Um, yeah. So I just... I mean, how, how much do you, detail do you want to know about how this race went? 
<laughs> as much as you want to share. I think it's interesting just yeah. because like with 100 miles, like there's so many variables yeah. and so many things that can go wrong. It's like, it's really like when everything goes right, it's it's truly like a masterpiece. Yeah. And I kind it's of, like, it's insane. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like this was, um, I would say this was my best 100 miler by far. Um, and part of that was one, like I physically felt good. Um, two mentally, I think my perspective that I was able to maintain the whole race was just such a good, like mental space for me. Right. Like I, in the past, even at Havelina when I ran 1452 on a much longer course, the course is shorter now and easier, but I'm not better. No. Um, <laughs> you know, like even in that race, like I sat in a chair for a really long time and had a good cry. And like, that's part of racing, like having hard moments. But at Umstead, like I started the loop and I was kind of like, I was running with some people and I just kind of fell into this, like, hmm, this feels like really comfortable. And I learned the loop. And then each loop, I kind of just felt like I was like really present with whatever was happening. And I never, like, I never really went to like a dark place. Like I was very good about like one of the things that I went into the race with was a framing of the race. Like this isn't hard. Um, and that sound sounds ridiculous. Running hundred miles is hard, but I, I meant it in a way that's like of the things that I've been through in my life, all the traumatic stuff, like all of the things that I've had to struggle through, like running a hundred miles is not that right. I survived all of those things and a hundred miles is not that. And I don't need to bring, I don't even need that kind of st mental strength that I've had to use in those scenarios for this. Right. And it was kind of a way that if I started having these, you know, you suck kind of moments, which we all have those kind of things in racing, that it was like, that was my counterpoint. But I think because I framed it that way, I never needed to use it. Right. Like I just kind of like, had internalized it. Um, and Larissa had told me like, this is supposed to be fun. Like we do this because we are choosing to do this. And like, so all day I kind of had this attitude of like, you know, like whatever comes up, like this is fun. You know? And like, I, so I had kind of built the plan out to run like the first two loops. I had hoped I would run with people for longer. Um, I made it through like a half a loop. <laughs> And apparently I am extremely skilled at dusting people in aid stations. I don't know why I put so much time on people because I'm so fast going through aid stations. So like I was with uh, Lance who ended up third and my friend Will who I'd met at Black Canyon. Um, we were running together. We get in the aid station. I stop at the bathroom. And I come out and they're still back at the aid station. And I was like, well, I'm not going to wait. Right. I just figured they'd catch me, but they did not catch me. So <laughs> the next like the first loop I went through in like an hour and 41 minutes. And I think I had at best been like maybe an hour and 45. Right. So I was a little ahead. The next loop was faster. And then, so for loops three and four, um, I decided, you know, I put on my headphones cause I like to give myself like a, a treat. Um, right. so my loop three, because I really like to listen to techno music when I run, apparently it's like my it just works for me so well. I don't know. I'm 40 years old and I just got into tech now. So um, <laughs> it's never too late. Um, it's never too late. I'm not 40 yet, but you know, whatever. Um, so that loop was, I definitely did not, I, the music boosted me a little too much. Oh, <laughs> I think no. I ran like a 137 or something. And I came through that loop and I was like, okay. And I said to my crew and I, my crew stops were so fast because I had, because I didn't know my crew, I just made it like, so simple. Like, I'm just, you're just, I'm giving you everything. You're giving me something else. Right. So there was no time. And I looked at them and I was like, I think I'm running too fast. They're like, you're fine. I'm like, I am running too fast. So loop four, I touched the brakes, but I still felt really great. Um, I, I had planned to go through 50 around seven hours, even though that's what Liza had done. Um, when she ran 1507 and obviously that's not a that's not a great split but like there's also I feel like when you're trying to run that fast there's 
going to be inevitable slowdown. So I kind of was, I always felt like I was running exactly within myself. So I wasn't like overly concerned that my splits were going to be off um, at all. Um, We really were lucked out because it's the South and they were like, it can be humid as hell. It can be super polleny. And it just ended up being really hot, but not humid at all. And I was like, yes, dryness I could do. Like I was so worried about the humidity. Um, so like loop four, I came in and I like got ice, you know, I just kind of was like, okay, it's, it's a really shaded trail. So you don't really have to worry about it except for when the sun's like right overhead. Um, so I picked up my first pacer at 50 miles. I came through 50 miles in six hours and 46 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to totally not run a whatever, you know, like a 13 something. I was like, but I also kind of was like, it didn't worry me, right? Like, because I felt good. I was not worried about it. I basically was like, at all points, I was like, just don't do anything because you have to like be very deliberate. So like that loop, I get my first pacer and they had picked the fastest dude in the, they had actually rearranged the pacers um, on the fly because originally it was supposed to be my last pacer was supposed to be my first pacer, but I was going too fast. And so they switched it. So my first pacer, Michael and I went out and like, suddenly I'm running like seven thirties again. And I was like, I was like, I think this is, I think I was like, I think I need to slow down. And it was like, bam, I was like bonked super hard. Um, Like, I just had to walk up a little hill and like down some calories. You know, somebody asked me why I didn't think this race was perfect. And I think my fueling wasn't, it was, my fueling was as good as it could have been on the day. But part of the issue that I had leading up to this race is when you live in a cold place and you try to go on a training run and eat fuel, it sometimes for my entire training block is frozen, right? So like I did not take any fuel for like all of my training, right? So my body, then suddenly when I'm like, hey, let's take 200 calories per hour, my body's like, "Mm." so like, I didn't have any stomach problems, but it was very clear to me that I couldn't, I had to err on the side of like, risking a bonk, like I couldn't just jam down gels in a way I have previously. So I recovered really quick from that. And that was like, that was just my reminder to be like, we are now in that stage where like, I need to be really, you know, I kind of just like let my pacer take me out a little too hard. And like, I'm kind of in the back of my mind, like this might be wrong. And so I just started being like, nope, this is what we're doing. Like, I'm just going to be the boss, right? Like, I know I'm the boss in that scenario. But like, I didn't know these people. Um, And he was, he was great. And like, we, you know, so I just from then on, it was like every loop, I had a new pacer, I would be like, tell me your life story on loop. I would say uh, six. I had to basically just abandon my fueling plan and I just started drinking the races Pepsi. So I just filled up. I literally just drank Red Bull and Pepsi for like the last 38 miles. (laughs) It was uh, was insane. (laughs) It's like a, a teenager video game player diet. Yeah. And I like at the there's only one full aid station on the course because it's there's like a water stop and then aid station. So on that secondary aid station, I would just like eat a handful of potato chips. But like with the caffeine, like if you start taking caffeine, you kind of have to continue because if you think bonking from low sugar is painful, like falling off a caffeine cliff is like soul crushing. Right. So I was like, I could feel like I knew I had to just be like, I, I'm going to max myself out on caffeine because I don't want to feel that. And so like the last three loops, I was very strategic about, you know, these hills that I had run up all day now are, you know, some of them, there's like a mile long climb and it's super douche grade. And like, I know I can run it, but I started using that as like hitting the calories, walking as fast as I could. And on the backside, there's a section called rat jaw, which is not douche great. It's basically like straight up. You just do these series of like up, down, up, down, up, down. My quads after the race were toast. Um, so I would just walk that super hard and I was still able to run very hard. So, I mean, it pat like I get into the last loop and like 
it's still daylight. It's like, I, it's, it's insane to me. I was like, am I even going to need my headlamp? Right. So we made it. And my last pacer, her name's Ellie. She was the best because like at that point with the last two loops, like when I had two loops to go, I basically had four and a half hours to go 25 miles to break the course record. I was like, none of my loops had been over two hours and none of my loops ended up being over two hours. I, you know, or even close to that. So like on the last loop, she had been told that if I won the race outright, cause I took the lead just after 50 miles by the last loop, I was over an hour ahead of the second person. So I knew I, I knew I was safe. It was like, don't do anything dumb, right? Like I don't need to take unnecessary risks if I'm just continue what I'm doing. Like I'm going fast enough that like, if I don't blow up, I'm going to break the course record. I'm going to win this race outright. I'm going to make history. So she, she came in and she was like, they told me that this is going to be history. You're the first, you're going to be the first overall, uh, first female to be an overall winner in the 27 year history. And so we're running along and she's like, she's making history. She's making history as we're passing people. Um, and that was also the cool thing about the course is there's like, it's a loop, but there's also like an out and a couple out and back parts. So you just get to see everybody. And, you know, I, and a lot of people commented to me like how nice I was. And I was like, like, I don't, deserve you saying good job to me more than you know like vice versa like i so i try to be like you're doing amazing to everybody <laughs> and then get some good laughs when i when i like pat loop somebody lap somebody for like the third time there and i'm like you're doing great and they're like really you think <laughs> um, i love that yeah so we like that last loop i just i mean it was it was kind of magical just being like I even with like 12 miles to go, I kind of felt like nothing can touch me on this day. Um, And I just executed the exact same plan that I had implemented in the last two loops of like, knowing exactly when I was walking and I ran like I literally that never changed. Like I never was forced to walk something that I had previously run without choosing to. Um, So we get pretty close. You get off the loop and you like make a hard right to go back down to the start finish. And Ellie, I think at that point was like holding on for dear life. And she was like, just go. And she was like overwhelmed. And we had barely even turned our headlamps on, right? Like it's not that late. And I just took off at like, I don't know, low seven minute pace. And I just crushed, like, I'm like, <laughs> like running so hard. I'm like killing myself. And I, like, I knew I was going to be well under the course record, but like, math is hard when you're running. Like, you know, I, I could be like, I think I'm going to come in under 14 and a half hours, blah, blah, blah. But you, you don't, you know, I'm not Ian Sharman, who's like the human calculator for that stuff. Um, yeah. So you kind of, the nice thing about the race is you run through all the tents, like of all the crews, and then you have to run uphill, (laughs) uphill to the finish. Um, and I'm kind of like, you know, I'm coming down and I'm like, really, everybody's cheering and I'm excited. And I'm like, kind of going like, is this going to be like, nobody's at the finish line? Like, will they even know that I'm coming? Right? Like, a lot of time, like when I won Leadville, I was like, crossed the finish line. And I was like, I think they held up a banner, but it was like two people. And that's it. And I was like, yeah. So I'm like, I don't know what this is going to be like. I'm so excited. And I come around the corner. And there's just like this wall of people. And it's like, everybody with their cameras and like, it was it was a really cool moment and like like the whole day just kind of was it's like it's what i know i'm capable of right like i've had plenty of races like that but you can't it is still the aberration when things go that well right and you can't right. really like force it to happen um so it was really cool that things came together that way on that day so it was about a 30 minute pr for me um which is cool and proves that even as we age, we're still getting better. So. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's another uh, kind of feature that's pretty unique to our sport that you can, you know, be winning races into your forties and fifties in many respects. 
Ah, man, that was so much cool to relive that with you. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so this race kicks off um, a larger project for you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the DIY DIY slam? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm turning 40 um, in June. And <clears throat> two years ago, uh, coming off the Olympic trials, um, I was like, I'm going to pivot from running really fast. Well, the Olympic trials were not that fast, but whatever, running fast to doing, I wanted to do the Grand Slam. So the Grand Slam of ultra running is you run four of the oldest hundred milers in the country. So I was going to do Western States, Vermont, Leadville, Wasatch. You can also do Old Dominion. The only, you can do any of the first, three of the first four and you have to do Wasatch. The only race that I have not run is Wasatch. So I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to crush it. And I'm like, in my mind, basically, I was like, there have been men, like fast elite men who have done the Grand Slam, but there haven't been that many elite women. And Trayson does have the, has done it. And she has the fastest women's time. My friend Chrissy Mail has done it. She has the fastest time. She was like the youngest person to ever complete it. I think she was like 25 or something. Yeah, she was a baby. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's like she has the second fastest time. So I kind of wanted to be like, fast women can do this. Like, um, but, you know, COVID <laughs> didn't, didn't happen. Uh, and then last year, I was able to roll over. I was in Vermont, Leadville and Wasatch. I was able to roll everything over, but I ended up being injured basically till July. <laughs> you know, I had, it was a long year in terms of injury. And I kind of, so coming off injury, that's why I went to Havelina in the fall. It was like, I want to win my way into Western States. I still thought I wanted to do the Grand Slam, but at that point I kind of wanted to want to do it. Um, and there is a big distinction there because it started to kind of just be like, do I, like, do I still, you know, like, and just because I wanted it two years ago, do I still have to want it now kind of thing, you know? And after Havelina, I was like, okay, I'll do Bandera or whatever. Um, but that didn't, I didn't get to the start line at Bandera because I was in the front range. There were fires. My friends were evacuated. It was really stressful. I just, uh, Omicron, like I was like, hell no. Um, so I lined up at Black Canyon, um, still with the idea that maybe I would do the regular Grand Slam. But meanwhile, I had also kind of started building my own backup plan because like there is no guarantee of getting a golden ticket. Um, I have full confidence in myself that I can c compete in all of those races. But like, like I said, sometimes you just take a flying leap into the ground and your dream's over. Um, so I had kind of done this whole, like I had gotten into a bunch of races, um, like other races. So when I ran Black Canyon, I think I was signed up for like 700 milers, <laughs> you know, like oh, that's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, so, and meanwhile I had started to get more, I kind of subtly started, I was more excited about my own plan than the regular Grand Slam, because, you know, I've done those races, right? It's hard to be like, ooh, let's retread those old tires. When, like I said, buffet, sometimes you don't want to eat the same foods. Um, so I put together this slam for myself. So the DY being Devin Yanko, uh, DIY slam is Umstead, Kettle Moraine. Um, Kettle Moraine is 26 years old. Um, it's in Wisconsin on the Ice Age Trail. High Lonesome. High Lonesome is actually now my local. Um, it's pretty epic. And it's like, I look at those mountains every day and I'm like, this is going to crush my soul. But <laughs> I'm really excited. Um, and they have really cool policies about like they have equal men and women in the race. Then Leadville and then Run Rabbit. Um, and part of that was just like we got here to Colorado. And I was like, I really want to be here. Like, I don't want to go back to California and race. I don't want to go other places. Like obviously I'm um, kettle are traveling, but like, I didn't want to make the whole thing elsewhere. I wanted it to be partially exploring where I live. So that means I will do five 100 milers between now and September. Um, it's 
I'm really glad that Umstead went well because I went into that race like, have I made a terrible mistake? Like I've announced that I'm doing this. And I was like, if Umstead had gone horribly wrong, right? Like mentally that would have just made this feel so daunting. But I kind of feel like because it went so well, like everything else is gravy. Like I don't expect everything to go that well, but like, I also am like, but it could, right? Like I, it's an interesting puzzle for me to figure out. And in 2020, when it was a lot about making up our own stuff and like figuring out what's exciting, like I really found that these types of challenges were my jam, you know, like you remember when I did 10, 50 Ks in 10 days, like, yeah, like what? Like I, it was so like, I had no problem completing that. It's like, I think I ran like, I mean, I ran 327 miles in 10 days. Like I don't even, what? Right. Like I'd never run that many miles and I felt great. So your average pace too was like, <laughs> I think like under eight minutes or something like that. It, it, was, it, was, it was blistering. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So like, I, I think that that's what's made this really exciting is like, it's combining these elements of like, like the history piece, like going to races that I think should get more respect and like exploring my locals and like involving my communities. And also like, I'm kind of right now, like into more of like the lower key vibe, right? You know, like, totally. I think it's super that we are like, you know, streaming races and doing all of that. But you know, like, it's really nice to not worry about a drone singing you pee in the bushes. Like, it really is. And like, pre-race odds and things like that. Like, I think that's great. And it's also not really the experience of everybody. And I, I kind of wanted to do something that is, you know, more in line with, like, where my values are right now. Yeah, I think there's something too that's like very intimate about those like older quote unquote like smaller races. Yeah. Like I was at uh, I am tough um, last summer and like I met the race director. I met like almost everyone that ran the event um, and it was it it for whatever reason had this like really cool vibe that I think yeah sometimes gets a little bit overshadowed in like races that are yeah. <laughs> where a bunch of drones are, are are buzzing around. Yeah. And I like I understand that part of that is driven by like you know, like there is more money in the sport and like for sponsors to make money, you need to have eyes on people and like I get that, but we are there are some growing pains, there are some things in the sport that I it's like I'm not that like into and I I just feel like like exactly how I ex- express like finding crew and stuff like how cool is it that the community is so connected and like apparently there were all these text messages going you know I had people reach out to be like somebody randomly texted me that you needed help and I'm like that's really cool and that is what I love about this community and so like that's what I want to help lift up you know like the race director um Rhonda, who's the co-race director for Umstead, you know, when I finished, she was like, do you think you can tell people how great our race is? Like, you know, she's been the race director for 14 years. And I'm like, that is my purpose. Like, I, I want people to know what these races are. And I want other people to feel like there is like running Umstead is just as valid as doing some other race. Like, you know, we've made Western states into this like be all to end all, but like it's give me a break. Yeah. It's like the Boston Marathon. Like, great. I, I understand like it has it is a great race, but I also think that if you hyper focus on one thing as the ultimate achievement, you're gonna miss out, like you said, on these amazing experiences with these small these smaller, less known races, and you're not getting the like full experience. So yeah. And I think for like the majority of people, 100 mile races aren't competitive. Like people get a kick out of like being able to say that they like ran 100 miles, which is like an accomplishment in and of itself. Exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, it's if you look at like Umstead, like part of the reason I Umstead's so cool is it allows people who might have a harder time on other courses like to actually have that experience and like 
make it through like 30 hours on that course, like a lot of people can make it through. And so a lot of people get PRs, they get that satisfaction. It's such a cool opportunity when like, and I think that that's also kind of like what is central to me right now is like, like I said, I'm not sponsored. I'm not opposed to sponsorship, but you know, like I'm not sponsored. So like, I am just like everybody else, like out here to have an experience and to make it through. And I think that that's what's really cool about our sport is like, we're all united and like, let's just get through this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, before I get you out of here, so Kettle Moraine is next. Yeah. When is that race? June 11th. Okay. So you got a little bit of time to recover. And then it kind of like starts to speed up in the summer though, right? Like, are you, are you planning on like trying to like train in between these races? It's difficult because like, I think Kettle Moraine is, is on the flatter side, right? And then High Lonesome is like a true mountain race. So like, are <laughs> yeah. you just going to try and like ride residual fitness or like um, put it in a, a block or two? I mean, I, so my coach is Mario Frioli. Um, he and I have talked about that even beforehand. Um, and I kind of felt like going in on Umstead, I was like, training's done for the year. You know, (laughs) I mean, I, I put in such an amazing block, especially considering I'm at altitude and training through the winter. Like, I think I did almost 1200 miles, um, just this year leading up to Umstead. Um, you know, a lot of hundred mile weeks, that kind of stuff. Um, the goal is like, to not rush back to training. Um, so everything like between now and kettle, I say I'm not racing, but I'm totally racing a 50 miler. I just, it's like weird to kind of like throw, it doesn't fit in my whole like slam thing. So I'm running a local race. Um, but mostly it's about maintaining. So between now and kettle, like obviously going from this, from Umstead to kettle is good in terms of their, they fit together. Um, so I don't think I need to build fitness. I'm fast enough. Um, the focus is on recovery and like staying far away from potential of injury. Um, you know, I've taken, let's say Friday, like I have taken every day. I ran yesterday a little bit and I was like, mm, I think I can do with more. So like I'm taking a ton of days off. Um, so it's more like... My training to other people might appear like a lot, but it's going to be mild for myself, right? I probably will get back into the 70s and 80s, um, but I won't be doing any super long runs. I don't need to do that. I don't mentally want to spend that energy. Um, After Kettle, like you said, things speed up. So it becomes like one month between each race. Um, With High Lonesome, it does require different set of skills and mostly that is the ability to hike really well. Um, so, but the nice thing is, is like hiking is an an activity I could do for recovery. Um, and because I live near the course, right? Like I can go throw on a fast pack. Like I'm kind of like, Hey, maybe I could have some fast pack adventures. Like I could go out and just have long days hiking, um, to build that skill set. Um, because high lonesome will be so gnarly in that way. Um, and then, you know, I'll come in with the speed and then I build that hiking and like Leadville's pretty fast except for hope pass. Right. So then I will have like a good combination going into the last two races. So I think basically, uh, actually I had this funny moment. I ran, uh, run through time. Marathon is a classic race here in Salida been going on for like 17 years it's a marathon has a shit ton of climbing i mean i ran a marathon in four hours and i was like killing it um at the end i ran and i ended up running with nick clark so nick clark and ian Sharman a couple of years ago like threw down in the grand slam like they both basically like both came in the top 10 at western states were like trading off wins at the other grand slam races and so i was like nick you're the perfect person to talk to. How do I slam and like do this well? And he was like, you don't, you just don't do it. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, man. oh, that's not good advice. Don't do it isn't good advice. But he was like, basically just don't try to build fitness between the races. Um, and so I kind of 
feel like that's going to be my motto is just like, I mean, I'm not like, I don't generally take even days off, like in my normal training, like I do pretty well with that. And so I'm going to have to like override my like, but I could. And I know as ultra runners, we tend to more is more. Right. And I, but I'm going to have to be like, no, I'm going to like, I, until we talked, I was just sitting on the couch, like trying to enjoy my first day off in like a month. Right. Like that's the focus. And I think if I can keep that focus and not give into that, like, you know, we all get neurotic and we're like, "Mm, I'm so out of shape. You know, like it doesn't work that way. So I think that that's how we're framing it. Like I'm not, I'm not doing, there won't be any heroic training. So my Strava is going to be real boring other than the races. I'll still, I'll still pay attention to it. I'll still give you kudos (laughs) on your rest days. (laughs) Cool. Uh, Well, I, for one, I'm really looking forward to following it this summer. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks for chatting with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Devin for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everyone else. Please keep moving forward and we will talk to you again real soon.